If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And alongside me is beat writer Patrick Lyons. We've got a number of things we want to get into today. Some of the talk around the postseason that might relate a little bit more to some of you that it's a little more general specifically Tampa Bay not drawing well Uh, very weird to see a team not sell out in the postseason uh, where the Rockies had a 71 win season and almost sold three million tickets we're going to give you a little bit of an update on the Arizona Fall League and what's going on down there for some of the Colorado Rockies prospects. But I want to begin here with some of the questions we've got coming in from people watching us live on Periscope. We're going to try to make these, uh, I think, a regular thing on Tuesdays. Uh, we're getting going a little bit later than intended today, but around uh, you know the 3.30 to 4.30 time, uh, mid to late afternoon, Live chats every Tuesday for you, talking Rockies baseball, offseason stuff, things around the league. And so we want to prioritize uh, first the questions in order they came in here. And I want to throw this first one to you, Patrick, because I've talked about it a little bit. But Benjamin asks, do you think Hilliard will have a starting spot next season? Sam Hilliard. I believe that's the one, correct? Ah, yes. Young Sammy Hilliard, as he's referred to by certain members of the front office. 
he uh, will have a starting spot with the, with the Colorado Rockies next year, but I, I don't think it'll be uh, at the beginning of the season. I think it'll take some time, you know, much like they uh, were able to do with with Tapia and Dahl, for better or worse, uh, back in 2018, last season. They're slowly gonna blood those guys into the the starting mix, and it, it'll be a little while until he gets that opportunity. Of course, injuries could s- totally derail that theory, and it becomes a matter of him starting right away from the get-go, playing some center field when David Dahl needs some off days, starting in left, starting in right, depending on whether or not Blackman's in the lineup. And you could see more of that should there be an injury early on in spring training. But ultimately he would have to do something rather extraordinary and, and, and even still with an extraordinary spring, you know, I, I don't know that he'll get one of those starting spots right away from the get-go. I, I would agree. There would have to be, uh, not only would he have to do very well, somebody else would have to either do very, very poorly or, or there'd have to be some injuries. And that's good news for the right. Or maybe there's a trade in the offseason. There are some things that could happen. But as it is now, yeah, I think it's, I, I think Sam's, site should be on making that roster being on the bench being there as a big scary bat and, and he showed us what he can do as a pinch hitter a little bit later there too uh, maybe before the book is written on him you can get some value out of him in that role the a, a power guy who can also he can run off of the bench for you as well so I, I think that should be his goal is to make himself an extremely valuable bench player who will be there ready to step in should they have a rash of injuries early in the season the way they did this year I think Buddy and and the rest of the staff might have learned from some mistakes in 2018 with platooning Ryan McMahon for lack of a better term and and sitting him against lefties when in fact he hits lefties very well and we saw that uh, second to last game of the season against Josh Hader Sam Hilliard comes into a game against one of the most dominant left-handed relievers one of the most dominant left-handed closers in the game right now and he goes out and hits a game-tying solo home run. So he'll probably be on the outside looking in unless there is an injury. And you certainly can never count on players you know, being healthy for the beginning of um, the season um, in through the, the month-long slog. Or at any other point in the season, yeah. <laughs> for that matter. Yeah, that, that can be a, a somewhat of a slog there early in, in spring training. And you certainly don't want to see anything to happen. But if Hilliard gets the, the starting spot somewhere in the outfield due to an injury, if he plays well enough, he can hold on to that spot and really force the Rockies to kind of move him out and ride him for, for all he's worth. So there is a chance for that. But ultimately, you know, I, I don't see him... Um, you know, be, being a factor that early on in the season. And, and if he is, that, that might not necessarily be a good thing because that means somebody else that probably deserves a little bit more playing time got hurt and banged up. And frankly, that's how you started 2019. And it, it took a while for it to get better from there. Right. And, and I think he could serve very well in, in a bench role. A guy with that kind of power, but with the speed, the athleticism he brings, could be a very valuable piece. I think that should be his goal. And he shows up to spring training trying to win that bench job, prove he can be a really valuable guy in that role. And like you said, then on down the line, he can win himself a starting gig. David wants to know your thoughts on an MLB team in Vegas, sending an article from uh, reviewjournal.com that says Las Vegas could be home to the A's, according to the MLB commissioner in a new report. Uh, I don't know about that in particular, specifically, though we all know the A's have had their history of difficulties Uh, with the facilities, both in terms of its quality and being able to just have one, uh, (laughs) you know, in the the first place. 
so whether it's that team or somebody else, what do you think? Baseball in Vegas? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about the facilities because the facility that they used down in Arizona was actually formerly the, the Cubs facility. So even then, or actually no, it might have been ASU, but they've, they've been handed down. They've had a lot of hand-me-downs over the years. And even though they just built a brand new AAA park there for the Las Vegas Aviators of the Pacific Coast League, 2019 was their first year. They had incredible numbers selling out virtually Every one of their games, they have these new specialized seats that uh, prevent them from getting hot during the... They're almost like those... Ooh, fancy. Uh, very fancy for Las Vegas, and particularly with the heat going on there. And, you know, I, I think even though they just invested, you know, some 30 to $50 million in that AAA facility, the bottom line is you would gladly toss that aside and, you know, have it be a, a multi-use stadium for maybe a local college soccer team or um, if you're able to kind of improve uh, right now the, the Las Vegas soccer team that exists there as is, you give them that, the facility, whatever it is, if you can trade that in for a major league franchise where now we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars coming in consistently, then you absolutely make that deal. And then it really puts some pressure on Oakland because now they lose another franchise to Las Vegas. And then when it comes time to expand to 32 teams. Well, now Oakland, hey, you're still in the mix, but you need to pony up that new stadium. You lost it once before, and let, let's see if you learn from that lesson. So Las Vegas very well could do that. We saw Henderson, Nevada, just down the road from Las Vegas. They tried to do that with Arizona because of all the issues that they're having with Chase Field. They weren't able to get that done. That was a very quiet side uh, strategy that they were using there for a time being. So you know, that, that area of Nevada is definitely looking to get in the mix as it continues to grow. There's just so much money. There's still so much expansion going on there uh, in more ways than one. And with the success of the Golden Knights and soon to be now the Raiders, I think Major League Baseball, not just Minor League Baseball, but Major League Baseball is probably the next to kind of, you know, capture that frontier. And, and we very well could see the A's or somebody else jump into that mix if they don't get their stadium deal figured out yeah i mean it's interesting because i i think a lot of the conversation used to revolve around you know what are they going to do about the gambling and you know there's a, a long history of that in baseball but i think one of the things that the golden knights have shown us is it's like that it's not more of a thing because it's there than it would be if it wasn't there. Like, if people are going to gamble, there are lots of ways to do that, and, and ha having the team be local doesn't really change the nature of that. But here's my thing. Have you ever been to Las Vegas in July? Like, you can play hockey inside on the ice. You can play – you could put a basketball team there. Sure, all the inside stuff I get. But that team can't have day games it, it, I like that's that's the one thing I think about like a hundred and ten degree day game bacon in the desert like that could get brutal. That could be bad. Yeah. Well, the Rangers, their new facility that they're going to have next year in twenty twenty, uh, just took took apart uh, Globe Life Ballpark. They're they're still going to use that. I think there might even be a, a USL soccer team that is still going to be able to use that facility. So they're going to try to salvage that site. But their new facility uh, for the Rangers is going to be air conditioned. So. You know, if, if they've kind of figured out a way to, to deal with that and we'll kind of we'll see the science behind it if, if it does actually work and either there's not fly balls flying out left and right or, you know, the home runs are suppressed entirely because of this air conditioning. We'll see what happens. But they figured out a way to kind of combat 
those ex- extreme temperatures, uh, I think they'll be able to do it in Las Vegas too. We got we have a World Cup coming up in Qatar for crying out loud. Right, right. I guess in, we can do anything in the middle of the summer. So yeah, we've got a way to to kind of figure that out and 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 make that balance. And you know, going back to the whole gambling thing is you can pick up your phone and you got gambling on your phone right there. Right. So it's it's not as if you know we're talking about the the Black Sox scandal in 1919 and we're going on about these gamblers, you know, finding their way into the clubhouse and and meeting players things of that nature. Gambling is is everywhere right now in our society and I think Major League Baseball is doing a good job and and trying to tamp that down as much as possible. Of course, there's no reports about any players doing gambling and things of that nature. Uh, if baseball found out about that, I imagine they would they would probably want to suppress that to a certain degree. Sure. But I think ultimately that that stuff is being managed and it's, you know, teams are doing a good job talking with their players about it and and trying to avoid it in all means uh, possible. Even the talk of fantasy sports is kind of, you know, deterred a little bit. You know, we, we know these guys, they they're friends with each other. They they're not just Co-workers, you know, they're they're friends with the other ball players in the clubhouse, and they may have fantasy baseball. Excuse me, not fantasy baseball, <laughs> fantasy football leagues that they're playing in. But since that's somewhat form of gambling, you know, it's not really talked about too much. So they, again, they try to tamp that down a little bit. But you know, that that nightlife and whatnot is everywhere. And if you're out past midnight, your odds are you're going to get in trouble. Whether we're talking about Las Vegas or Seattle. Or right here in Denver, too. Right, right. It's, yeah, you, you can get in trouble anywhere. So, <laughs> uh, Contrarian Rocks wants to know, will low expectations help the Rockies as much as high expectations hurt them this year? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I might disagree with one of the premises, but maybe not the one that you'd think, because I do think that the high expectations hurt them this year I, I i think that that was something we saw play out a little bit i've talked on this podcast about nolan arenado having to find himself as a leader this year and the lack of um, energetic leadership until tony walters finally found himself in the absence of cargo and para but i will say this and and this is something i think is interesting i don't think that the rockies have low expectations of themselves going into 2020. I think a lot of the fans do. We'll see where the media comes out. I think that, you, you know, we got to let the offseason play out. Any Anyone who's in our line of work who's out there telling you right now they know what the Rockies are going to be in 2020 is full of it. You can't. We have no idea who's going to be on the roster. We just can't. It's fine for fans to say, hey, I believe it's already over with or they're going to win it all or what. That's fine. But people, we have to be a little more measured than that. But the Rockies themselves aren't going, well, you know, we're not spending money and we just won 71 games. So we're going to come into spring training and we're going to try our best. I know that's how it sounds in some people's ears, but they fully expect 100% 100% fully expect to be in the postseason picture next year. Low expectations are, are going to happen, I think, for this club. You know, you, you talk about project, uh, predictions and projections as to you know what the team's going to do next year. I don't think after this offseason we're still going to be able to figure out how good this team is or how bad or how mediocre. I don't think there's any way of really knowing. Right. Even if they go out and get a guy that you like in Tanner Roark, 
even if they make a trade and let's say maybe they bring in Trevor Bauer, a guy whose father went to the School of Mines down in Golden, right. little known fact. Yeah. But even if they were to add two, you know, relatively notable names to the starting rotation, we still don't know what to expect right now out of the starting rotation. Right. It seemed as if after 2018, this, you know, current front office and coaching staff, Bud Black, they had solved Coors Field. They had figured out how to do it. The players, you know, through their development, playing down in Albuquerque, seeing what that is like, pitching at altitude, they figured it out. And then 2019 rolls around and we go, I think they're back to square one. And it's the same old, same old. So the roster on paper, the core is very strong and definitely has that potential to be another 90-win team, even if they made just minimal moves, which is what I anticipate happen. It's pretty much what they've said themselves. Right. And and even if they make one or two moves beyond you know minimal changes, I, I still don't think we're going to know what this team is really comprised of until we get to late July, early, mid-August at that point. So, you know, the low expectations can't really hurt you because now you can just either exceed them or meet those expectations. Having high expectations this year was really painful. It was it was probably the most disappointing season in Rockies history, hands down. Hands down. I mean, I I, I think 2010 gets into that conversation. People forget how how bad that the season was, especially after the team was so good in sure. 09. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I certainly came out and said that I thought they were the best team on paper that the Rockies have ever had, and then they almost finished in last place. So if if you know you you buy into that kind of analysis, then sure. And you're right. Like we're gonna have to try to come up with something when they they come out and they say, "Here's what the roster is day one." We'll say, "Well, here's what we think these guys are capable of," but. Until they get out there and, and do some stuff, we're really not going to know. And we've seen the variability of individual players and what that can mean for a franchise that doesn't have the flexibility that teams like the Dodgers and Cubs and Yankees have, uh, what it can do. But I'm with you. I, I think you're, that there's low expectations can only help. It's, it's not going to hurt them. Uh, if they come in and nobody's kids, then they can play with a little more chip on their shoulder. And I do think there's a lot of guys who are going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder uh, for the Rockies next season. Of course. Also, also low expectations or not, as you uh, kind of alluded to, I'm not sure if this was before we started recording or not, but going into the final week of the season, you know, they, they still pushed, you know, they pushed the envelope to try to get the 3 million fans when this was a team that was all but eliminated in August. Right. So low expectations or not, people are still going to show up in droves to Coors Field in 2020. So, of course, Len from Edmonton just wants to know why Mookie Betts isn't a Rocky yet. Now, appreciate you listening, Len. That was a fun conversation. We had fun with that. We'll do a few more of those uh, as we go throughout here, but uh, thanks for getting in. Neil wants to know, of the current teams left, uh, do you have a favorite and why? Houston Astros. Yeah. Um, uh, I was surprised Tampa was able to to come back and, and get a get a W in Game 3. I th- I'm, I'm sure – you know that that punch in the face to Greinke will will only help him uh, through the rest of the postseason. He has you know somewhat of a resume in the the postseason already as it is at least with the Dodgers, and uh, you know he he probably doesn't want to do the same thing that you know Clayton Kershaw has done his whole career, where phenomenal during the regular season, questionable in the playoffs, and you know I said it at the beginning of the season, um, you know just to some friends is that Zach Greinke 
whether you, you agree with this or not, take a look at the numbers. He is, he is a borderline Hall of Famer right now at this point in his career. So adding a World Series ring, you know, adding some some dominant postseason performances, if that's a guy you got going out there, he's your number three. You still have Garrett Cole, yeah. free agent after the season. Do we see him in purple next year? Nope. Well, <laughs> I, I guess oh, did, we're not going to tease did I, that. Did I throw ice water on that? No, no, actually, why not? Why not? Okay, well, so... I mean, I, I can think of some reasons why not. <laughs> Mookie Betts, Garrett Cole, stay tuned. Bring them all in. DNVR, Rockies. We're going to tell you how they land both those guys. But And Justin Verlander, who's going tonight in game four. I mean, they're just dominant. And they're not, just, even, they're not even clicking yet. I know. George Springer has yeah. been shut out. Michael Brantley has been very quiet. So we haven't seen the best of the Astros. And I think, you know, if, if they can get – if they can win game four – tonight as we're recording that on Tuesday then they can go out and be relatively full strength against the Yankees if they got to go to five games now that really could affect them the Yankees could surprise I think I would still pick the Astros in seven games should they go five games against Tampa but Astros still seem to be the team to beat right now in the postseason how about you go DJ all right mile high Batman wants to <laughs> wants to know if I've I seen like Joker it. no haven't seen it yet I will. I will give you a full report, a spoiler-free report, sometime next week. Uh, I, I had planned to see it, but I've been sick in bed for most of the week. And uh, I'll try to talk about the movie, not the controversy, but, you know, uh, I'm very interested in, in checking out the film. And also, Martin Scorsese is wrong. He's a very good filmmaker, <laughs> but he's also an idiot. Um, spoiler alert, um, Joaquin Phoenix's character becomes the, the Joker. He, he does become the Joker. He does so become the Joker. Th that is a, a spoiler. spoiler. Saying comic book movies aren't cinema is like saying someone's it's like saying this isn't a podcast because you don't like it. Like, no, it is. It's the same as other people do very different kinds of podcasts that are in very different realms. And some are more important and some are less. <laughs> and some are, you know, it all counts, man. It all counts. All right. Chris wants to know what moves should the Rockies make this winter? Of course, we're going to be talking about this throughout the entire offseason. Uh, so I think for now, w what we can just say is they got to explore everything. I mean, that's part of the reason why we are going to talk about Mookie Betts and Garrett Cole. And if the Cubs go into fire sale mode, start looking at those guys. And what could they do with a Chris Bryant? Does that make any sense? We do understand that pitching has to be priority one, two, and three. Uh, but there's a lot that can be done this winter. What they have to do most, and, and Bud Black pretty much said this earlier today on MLB Network on Sirius XM Radio during his Tuesday spot, is that they need to be creative. And they said essentially that in the right. media availability. They're going to have to be creative. And the more creative that Jeff Breidich and his team can be, the better, off, better of an offseason they're going to have. Now, I don't think we've seen too much creativity out of them in, in trades. You know, obviously they went out, they got Herman Marquez. That's fantastic. But that wasn't really a piece that came to fruition for a couple years at that point. So the moves that they're going to need to make need to have an immediate impact on the roster. So if they can right. be creative enough to remove some, you know, bloated contracts from the roster and go out and spend some money on some free agents because there are a lot out there. There's, you know, I haven't seen any exact numbers, but there's essentially more free agents this year than I think 
ever before. You know, because the last two off seasons, we saw that a lot of guys were getting one, two year deals, and teams were just being, you know, very chintzy with these long term contracts. You know, there was some talk of some collusion going on, and you know, um, that's quieted for right now. We'll hear it again eventually. Yeah, it'll come back up. If Anthony Rendon and Garrett Cole don't really get their money until mid to late December, we'll be talking about collusion yet again. But all those guys signed one, two year deals, so that every year they keep coming back up. And so when you look at the list of free agents, you'll see some new names, but you'll still go back and you'll see Nick Hunley's name again as a free agent. Jonathan Lucroy's name again as a free agent. Yasmani Grandal back again as a free agent as far as catchers go. So, you know, there's there, there's a lot of creativity that can, you know, really change the face of the franchise, free up some money, then go out and grab guys on one-year deals. It worked for the Minnesota Twins. They got Jonathan Scope. They got Marwin Gonzalez. They got Nelson Cruz. They signed all of those guys and went out and had a fantastic season in the AL Central. And they were only able to do that because they had the financial flexibility. And, you know, maybe they had the the cojones to go out and sign those one-year deals and give those contracts to those guys. So creativity really is the bottom line this offseason for the Colorado Rockies. Absolutely. Along those lines, uh, two similar questions here. Devin says... Uh, do we foresee any assistant coaching changes? And Nolan's Minecraft account wants to know, since the Rockies will probably have another boring offseason, do you think they should invest some uh, in the pitching down in the minors? And so I-, I would suspect, at least throughout the organization, there there's always some shifting around. There will be some coaching changes. I wouldn't hold your breath for something major if you're one of those people that thinks they need to clear house of uh, Darren Holmes and Steve Foster or Dave Magadan and Jeff Salazar. I'd suspect most of those guys are going to be back next year, as will Bud Black. Um, I, I could see them doing a lot of adding, and, and I think that that's probably the right way to go along the lines of uh, Mr. Nolan's Minecraft account <laughs> bringing up here. Uh, investing in, we've talked about before, investing in the R&D in the analytics department, and and doing things like this, bringing in some extra hands to help with the minor league development of the pitchers or with the major league development of the pitchers or uh, mental health coaches, all kinds of things you can do to get the most out of uh, the roster without changing it necessarily. So we don't really have any inside information on whether or not they will be doing these things. And actually, I should throw in a third question here because all in a row these are in the same area. Tom asks, what will it take to get a president of baseball and upgrade the analytics department? Now, they are upgrading the analytics department. I think the key question there is, what will it take to upgrade the analytics department enough that it catches up to everybody? Um, be, because that's really, the, the, they've, they've admitted that they were behind. They need to catch up. The question is, can they? I, I think they're going to try. I have no indication that they're, interested in adding a president of baseball operations or just some sort of go-between for Dick Monfort and Jeff Breidich and and the media and everybody else involved and and making those kinds of decisions. I haven't heard anything along those lines. I think it would be a good idea. But for now, uh, I think the more important thing really is the analytics and the R&D and making sure that they're investing in these kinds of behind-the-scenes operations that can make an immediate impact on your on-field results. As far as investing in minor league pitching, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you have someone of 
great talent or it's controllable, it's cost-effective, and you basically ship that guy off to a contender and you bring somebody back. So we're not going to see that this offseason. Even with the glut of outfielders that they have, any of that depth, um, my take on it is that ultimately they're going to have to pair an outfielder with a contract they don't like and just kind of wash their hands of it and say, we'll give you this really talented player if you pay for this other guy that we kind of want to go to go away, and you don't get back anybody, and that's fine. Ryan Rolson, he struggled this year. Once he got promoted to Lancaster, he was phenomenal in Asheville. I, my prediction this season was actually that we would see him at Coors Field in September if the team was contending, um, so that didn't happen partially because the team didn't contend and partially because Rolson had so many issues uh, at high A Lancaster, but he was ridiculously talented and pitched incredible in Asheville, so dominant in Asheville. So he'll start next year, he should, at Hartford, and he could be that next guy. There's nobody else really jumping off the page. If you believe in Ashton Godot, who we might talk about a little bit more, he's doing well in the AFL. It was announced today on Tuesday that he will be the lone representative for the Rockies in the Fall Stars game in the Arizona Fall League. So as far as the investing in minor league pitching, you're doing that in the draft, and that's just something that will take time. Coaching changes, short and sweet. If anything does happen, it will be sooner than later. We're seeing a lot of changes around Major League Baseball right now for um, those guys that aren't the managers, right? They, they've taken care of all that. And then all the guys beneath them, the hitting coaches, pitching coaches, things of that nature, all of those moves are slowly starting to happen now. So if that does happen for them, uh, it, it should be in the next coming weeks. And finally, upgrading the analytics department. There's no way that they can do that in one year, maybe even two years, probably not even in three years. I think a lot of what makes a successful analytics department is trial and error. And that just takes time. So they did that a little bit this year, I think. Uh, See, I think they've been doing this. is where we may disagree a little bit. Oh, okay. I, think they've been doing, I think they've been doing this for five, six years here with the mm-hmm. trial and error. And specifically with a focus on Coors Field, understanding that they – because they've got their own analytical problem to solve here. They don't have the same – issue as everyone else so it's interesting I, I see sometimes people go out and say well why don't they just like hire all the people that the Dodgers have hired to come in and, and show all these guys or, or that the Astros have gotten a hold of but I, I do think that they have a group of people down there who have really started to figure out the Coors Field thing in particular this year is obviously you're still going to have bad years across the board but I don't know. I, I think this is one of those things where I think they're on the brink of maybe even my framing of it earlier wasn't quite right because I don't know that it's about catching other people in terms of having the best analytics in general. I think you've got to have the best analytics for your situation. And I think that's something that maybe because the Rockies are in a unique spot, they've had to do more than other teams who can be followers. I think the Rockies understand, at least from the front point, analytically they can't be followers of trends that have worked out for other people because they play in a unique environment right so so they're not going to catch houston they're not going to catch la and right right so we agree on that now there was something that brightish said and i have to go back and listen to the tape but it didn't even seem as if it was reading between the lines it sounds like he was essentially saying you know our analytics department we're trying to evaluate players but we are not trying to evaluate Coors Field. 
I think he said something along those lines. He didn't say Coors Field. But he essentially was almost alluding to the fact that we don't have people out there measuring the wind at this time of day, uh, looking at you know how much spin needs to you know be on that curveball on top of it in order to have an effective drop that compares to what it's like at sea level in Miami. It sounded like they're not even doing that. They're just doing basic stuff, trying to evaluate players and whatnot, which is fine. Uh, that could be one way that they would maybe try to rival some of these other bigger teams. Um, also, having the funds to go out and ha- you know take a risk and say, all right, well. We think our analytics department has improved, and it's on it's on par with some of these other organizations right now. And we think this guy is due for a breakout, similar to what the Yankees did with LeMahieu, as we saw. And they might be able to go out and do something like that. But a little bit is trial and error, and we understand that. But as far as trying to solve Coors Field, I don't even, I don't think they're even trying to do that right. Now. I I completely disagree. In fact, I I know I know of a couple of people down there who are who are doing the work. I, I I know of some of their names, and so they're they're definitely, I I think they play it coy publicly because that the conversation be, yeah. is so frustrating and so misunderstood. Not just nationally, yeah. even locally. That anytime. Dick Monfort or Jeff Breidich mentions Coors Field and trying to do something about it. They sound like they're complaining or that they're making excuses, that, that, that they're making it the primary reason why they don't succeed. And then that filters down into the rest of the organization. I think there may have been some of that in the past even. but And, they, and then during the press conference, they were trying to avoid the injury thing. Like right. It's very clear right. that that was the biggest factor. But you're right. They were trying to not say hey, we missed this guy for so long, and yeah, we were out of it, and we played poorly for the entire month of August. Well, look who was hurt. You're right. They tried to avoid that. Right. So, I, I mean, I, and that's another thing, too, that you do have to, to, to reuse your phrase. Sometimes you do have to read between the lines, and like, what are they trying to say? What are they trying not to say? What are they trying to make sure doesn't get misinterpreted? But I, I think they've had a very singular, no, I shouldn't say singular, a very pinpointed focus on Coors Field where they didn't before from an analytic point of view at least starting about four or five years ago most specifically uh, when they brought in Mark Wiley uh, to oversee pitching operations but ultimately how much that does or, or doesn't impact like that's that's an area where they whether they're doing it or not, they need to be going full throttle. They need to whatever to. whatever the investment is needs to be doubled or tripled in that department because they need to understand their own unique issues and why throughout their entire history they've never been a good road hitting team and why, despite the fact that it's way harder to pitch at their ballpark than it is on the road, do most of their best pitching seasons guys are better at home. What is going on with all of this? How can you mitigate these factors? And I, I think they've implemented some things over these last couple of years to attack those. Some of them have worked back to your trial and error, and some of them very much haven't. I think Daniel Murphy was a trial and error where you found out, oh, yeah, no, just taking a guy with really good contact and launch angle and Dose putting him machine. in a Right. And I think a lot of us, myself included, Corey Sullivan came on this podcast. A lot of people, we, you know, saying he's going to hit all these doubles. Mm-hmm. And it made sense. But we're learning more and more. It doesn't just work that way. Um, and I think that that's part of why they've been such a build from within team and why they should be more of a build from within team. Or if they're going to 
Like, I think the best way to take guys from outside the organization, like you were talking about earlier, it's the Marquez route. It's bring them from outside the organization, but when they're young and when they can still come and be in your system and kind of figure out Coors Field from their first, first day in the majors and not something that a 33-year-old who's been playing this game one way for 32 years, well, now you got to figure out this whole different, unique environment. You know, Hearing you say that, I was going to go off on one tangent. Now, there's another of, of the idea of building from within. Okay, we get it. And uh, the reason we know they need to build within, at least for right now, to a degree, is because they, they tried something. They spent $175 million on Mike Hampton and Danny Nagel in the same offseason, and it didn't work. But they tried it, and now they know. So for that $175 right. million that they lost out on, they saved – Several hundred more millions of dollars each and every offseason after that, which is fine, right. which is great. And they, they got to you know, continue to do things like that. But you know, I, I, I tend to wonder, you know, maybe this building from within, again, while I, I agree with it for right now, they can't do that for the history of their entire organization because at a certain point, that's not going to work. You have to adjust. That's what analytics is. That's what Moneyball that, – that's the origins of Moneyball. Moneyball wasn't about OPS – Moneyball was right, about right. trying to find value where other people didn't didn't see it, right? Trying to see things from a different perspective so you could get a leg up. And I think if they can figure out the core's effect, they can figure out what's going on with that, now they can make those adjustments. And then maybe it becomes about signing a whole bunch of pitchers that have a certain skill set. That's when we'll know that maybe they figure that out. I think they might have a long way to go with that. But ultimately, you know, they need to kind of bob and weave and do a bunch of different things. I think we saw that a little bit the last couple years, and maybe we'll see that a little bit this year. It might not be on the roster. It might just be more how they use certain players and, you know, how they, how they go about having success at Coors Field and on the road and the adjustments that they make. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's going to have to be the primary focus of it w one way or another. And then whether they're players from outside or inside, you, you find the players that match w what you need them to do. Um, hey, thank you for everyone who sent in those questions on uh, the Twitter and who are watching us live on uh, the Periscope. Those of you who are can see I'm having one of these fine Colorado cores from our good friends over at Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of dnvr but i'll tell you my favorite place to drink breckenridge brew patrick and that's over at blake street tavern you know it's just it's my favorite place it, too it, it it's a pretty great place love it well okay well we love it because it's a block and a half from coors field fair uh, not that it's not also awesome but it's really convenient before or after games you go in. it's so big that even when it's busy like you, you don't feel like it's packed in there it's got to be i mean a postseason game for you to feel like you're standing shoulder to shoulder to people and at that point you kind of want to be oh yeah right if you're in a sports bar for a playoff game of, of any sport you're, you're stoked about that. other than that there's always room in there you can always um, get a quick bite to eat one of the things i really love too is around game time they shorten up the menu so like i'm a, I'm a big wings guy i'm just gonna go in i'm gonna get my wings i don't need to see your menu they know me there hey drew you having wings yeah and it'll be at my table in five to ten minutes because they very quick it's very quick and very yeah. quick and they do that on you know the rest of the time you want a wider selection you don't go around sports time they've got a great menu there but if you want your typical you want a burger you want some nachos you want some wings before the game they will get it to you in time so you don't have to worry about being late to the game it's man. a pro proper gastro pub 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I like that. There's a phrase yeah. I've not heard. In and, a while. and you know, and, and to be fair, we also on our way over to Blake Street, even though it might only be a block from the stadium, we passed numerous other places. Right. That were like, no thanks, no yeah. thanks, no thanks. We're at Blake. We're at Blake. It's the place to be. You're going to be able to sit. There's TVs everywhere. So you're going to be able to not only see, like, whatever sport you're keeping up with, but it's a good time to check in on the other stuff. We were there for the watch party for the Broncos, the first one, like, during the preseason. So oh, yeah. the Broncos on. They had the Rockies game was on. Uh, they had some college football was on. And I was watching women's soccer because I'm always interested in that. And it's just it, it's just a great place to hang out, watch sports, drink Breckenridge brew. You might run into either Patrick or myself if you're if you're hanging out. So that'll be a good time. And, and like I said, that was fun. Thank you all for sending in the questions. I do want to jump to these topics. We've gone on so long uh, that we said we would at the beginning. And uh, Patrick, I just want to get your your thoughts real quick here on the Tampa Bay Rays since you suggested this one. It is it's brutal, man. It and people will remember the Rockies began their season in Florida. And it was uninspiring to be out there playing baseball games in mostly empty stadiums. But a postseason game, is this, you know, and and, and does this fit inside the larger conversation of there's a big fight? Is baseball in trouble? Certain viewership is down, certain viewership is up. There's Everyone's twisting and turning the numbers how they like. There's some places where attendance is way down, some places where attendance is way up. Uh, But... I think it's one of the reasons why you might see Tampa split half their season with yeah, Montreal. That's right. Because they're just not coming out. You know, playoff game against Houston Astros. Okay, I get it. If you're not into Zach Greinke, you know he's he's not typically <laughs> he's not typically a guy that you know has had too many uh, you know matchups against the AL East. Because um, let's face it, if you live in the Tampa area, you're probably a Yankees fan. Um, you, there's some Boston Brutal. folks down there as well. But you know, and and to be fair, go back to even September. When Tampa's in the hunt for a wild card spot, they play the Yankees and they're getting about seventeen thousand for the Yankees. So not even Yankees fans are showing up to that stadium. The traffic is atrocious. We know how bad it is in LA, but they do eventually get there by the third or fourth inning. They're just not getting there at all at Tampa Bay. Yeah. And it's it's a real major issue and it's a little bit of an embarrassment, but you know, at the end of the day, whether we're talking about Tampa or we're talking about Miami, who, again, their attendance is atrocious. It's it's okay for Major League Baseball because they've got 30, you know, 30 cities that they're playing around with. Obviously, we know L.A., Chicago, New York have two teams. But, you know, they've, they've got these 30 cities and a lot of brand-new ballparks, and the bottom line is it's helping create content. So even if people aren't going to the games in Tampa – People are spending a lot of money on the MLB.com app and for the different you know, satellite broadcasters and things of that nature. So they're still making money. They're still being profitable. They're still going to go out and have the 31st, 32nd team. So in the grand scheme of things, you know, I don't think Major League Baseball cares too much ab- about that. You know, as, as a fan, that was always something that was, I was always curious about. I can remember my dad and I, when there was baseball in Montreal, we would say, all right, how many do you think we're at the Expos game last night, and we'd pause and go, all right, it's Tuesday night. Um, who are they playing? Are they playing the Mets? Oh, the Mets are doing really bad this year. Uh, all right, 7,000. And it was like, nope, 4,000. You're like, oh. 4,000 like, And Pedro was people. pitching that game. Oh. It was like, what, it was a Pedro day, and they only got 4,000? Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, Tampa Bay, it's, it's, it's an embarrassment, but the stadium itself is also an embarrassment. Right. And, and it has been, always has been, and we've known it, and – the way it's constructed, where it's placed, all of it is 
bad from what I understand. I've never been there, but the, there's nothing about the experience that makes it any better. You'd be like, oh, yeah, but once you get there, you got to go pet the rays, you know, like <laughs> it's it's not it's it's brutal. And, and it's another reminder. <sighs> All right. Cue, say it. Cue, say the, it. cue the hate mail. I don't know what you're about to say. I, I want you to say I it. know you're, you're just ready for it. It's just, just clicks. People oftentimes roll their eyes when you, you you're talking about the Monforts and they go, yeah, but I guess you know, nice ballpark or whatever. And it's like, no, not or whatever though. Like, it's a really nice ballpark. It's a really well located ballpark. It's a ballpark that has given back an extraordinary amount to the community. There are lots and lots of local business owners and patrons who owe a great deal who've never once been to a Rockies game who get benefit out of that where we're talking about you know greedy owner owners in Tampa or Atlanta who have gutted their own fan bases who have taken money from their fans and done stupid selfish things with it or think not at all about the community when they're building their stadiums or or any of the other things that they do. And so it it does get under my skin a little bit that the Momforts are actually really good for the community. They give back a lot, like even outside of the Coors Field thing. The McGregor Square is going to be another phenomenal contribution to the community. That was the, the next point. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, right, that's the community. That's not just Coors Field. That's saying we want you to come down to Lodo and have an amazing experience and say, you know what, we, we need to address the fact that there's no Hall of Fame right now at Coors Field. We're going to fix that right across the street, McGregor Square. We're going to have, like, watch parties, things of that nature, and it's going to really help kind of further that fan base. And for all the knocks that the organization gets for being maybe too loyal to their players, well, they are maybe too loyal to their fans. And, right, they don't gut the team. They're not, you know, tanking. They always do their best. Yes, there's years where you know that the you've been – You've gone to games, of course. You know. And you know that this team is not a playoff contender. But there's plenty of pieces that they could sell off and, you know, and and get something decent for when they're at the the top, you know, of of their value. I've I've maintained that about Nick Hundley and Justin Morneau before I was covering the Rockies that they had an opportunity to sell when the stock was high on those guys and bring back something huge. They very famously had an opportunity to, to trade Jorge De La Rosa when he was going to be a free agent and could have come back in two months and got Eduardo Rodriguez. But that didn't go down because they were too loyal. But they also very famously had an opportunity to trade Todd Helton to the Boston Red Sox the year before the Colorado Rockies went to the World Series and lost to the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, which, okay, like. How much more brutal would that? Now they probably don't get to the World Series without Todd Helton, but can you imagine Helton playing in another jersey at any point in his career, let alone against the Colorado Rockies in their only World Series appearance? So there are plus sides. Here, here's an interesting topic: Who was the last team that Todd Helton hit a home run off of? The Boston, Boston Red, Red Sox. Sox. That's right. Jake Peavy did a nice job. We owe you one, Jake. I think it was for uh, Mike Lowell. I think Mike Lowell, was and, well, yeah, yeah, something, and he was he was getting past his prime. I think Lowell was was about done too. And well, Helton didn't have a whole lot much more great baseball in him either. Yeah, this might be a topic for another time. But former Rockies players who came back and 
crush the Rockies. Not too many. I think I think DJ LeMay, who broke the hearts of a couple <laughs> Rockies fans, but he didn't crush and the Rockies them, yeah. quite exactly. Does Fowler have pretty good numbers? I feel like Fowler's done all right. Yeah, he's been okay. He um, Go back and, and look at an article uh, we ended up putting out last month where as soon as he came back, he came back the, the following year, I think that was 14, and then 15 he was hurt. 16 he played, 17 he was hurt. So he's been kind of off yeah. and on a little bit. Love that dude. Dexter Fowler, man. All right. Uh, we, we, did, we did a lot today. I think we're going to have to wrap it up there, get to those other topics. Uh, lots of other stuff to talk about, but we'll get to that on the next episode. Thank you, everyone who joined us for the live chat, or if you're just listening to the podcast, you're cool too. We're not, we're, not, <laughs> we're not discriminating against just podcast listeners. Like I said, we're going to try to do these every Tuesday. So if you happen to be around and can make it a part of your routine, we'd love to have a lot more people in here asking questions, participating with each other in the comments section. It's always a lot of fun. And it especially makes the off-season more uh, bearable with all of us trying to figure out what to do with our lives because there's no baseball. I mean, there's baseball every day, but there isn't Rockies baseball every day. It's a little bit different, so... Thank you all. Make sure you're following us on all the social media. It's at DNVR underscore Rockies, at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook if anyone's still using Facebook, whatever podcast app you happen to use. And make sure you are subscribed to thednvr.com. Thank you so much for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you we will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark. As you all may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. That's why our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today, online, or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today.